0: Hey everyone, welcome to the show today. Today we're going to be discussing Monday's interview with Samuel Bolin, who is the Executive Director of the Jackson Leadership Foundation. Back with me in the studio to discuss the interview are my friends and fellow leaders, Cody Coleman, Kelsey Broom, and Michelle Mahalko. How are y'all doing? Great. It's good to see you, Thanks for having us. So what did you think about Monday's interview?
1: I really appreciated that... He has this organization that helps to connect other people and helps to train leaders, too, because I think that's something every city can value, especially in under-resourced communities, because they're looking for leaders who can help change their community. And so this really is so helpful in Jackson, and it's really cool to hear that it's across the world.
0: And I do like how they look in those communities and say, who's already doing stuff? Who is positioned to Lead well, and how can we help them lead better? Yeah. That's one really cool thing about the Leadership Foundation.
2: I thought that too, that it was just such a cool perspective. And I think it got me personally thinking of, oh, wait a second. I'm in this city. You know, I'm right outside of Jackson, but I'm in a a town, I'm in a city. I should be a leader there. I should be looking around to see where I can lead. So it really got me thinking in in a different direction about leadership in general. Um, And I was also really impressed that. He didn't think about a a big, huge, or his focus isn't necessarily on this huge global scale, but more practically, right where he lives. So I I thought that was a really neat perspective.
0: Yeah, the Leadership Foundation is about impacting the world, but they do that one city at a time. Which
2: is something I think a lot of people miss. So I I thought that was neat.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I I thought it was a really good discussion.
3: I really liked the, the idea of a foundation for building leaders. I'm in this spot in my life right now where I'm in a pretty big leadership role where I'm at, and I need to figure out myself even how to Mm. better empower other
0: people to to lead and teach them how to lead leaders. So the Leadership Foundation is about connecting people from different parts of the city for the maximum impact. So I wanted to kind of start off the question going, uh, moving from the Leadership Foundation to a more personal level. Have you ever seen people in your life who do a great job of connecting organizations, connecting people? Just do a good job at connecting others for greater impact.
3: Yeah. So my dad owns owns a business in Tupelo, Mississippi. It's it's a bait shop, Clay's Bait and Tackle. Go check it out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> web, web, Shout website out. Uh, website uh, Clay's Bait and Tackle LLC dot com. I think. Just Google <laughs> it. Park. Yeah. Just Google. it. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, he has this way of, of talking to people and they'll, they'll come in and you'll have guys come in that own businesses and have run successful businesses for years, uh, coming and talking to guys who are looking to be able to do something like that. And I've seen so many times, my dad, uh, who's talking to these guys walking in saying, Hey, how did you start your business? And he would be, he'd, he'd start talking to him and get to know him and everything. And then other guys would walk in. He's like, Hey, have you met so-and-so? And, you know, this guy, this guy knows what he's doing. Go talk to him for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he would kind of dip out of the conversation for a while. I've seen that so many times in just a, a general setting of just a random person mm-hmm. being able to connect other people, which is really cool to see. I think
2: there was a woman at the university that I went to Asbury University. Go Eagles. She actually was my mentor. Funny enough, I was connected to her and didn't naturally just meet her, but I was connected to her. And through her, she got me my first full time job and my husband's first full time job. And so, and that was actually her job. She was in charge of career and calling. So that was convenient. But she just went beyond that. It wasn't just a job to her. She loved people and she loved connecting them as her job, but outside of her job. She was just very fluid with her relationships, her skill set. And and connecting people with uh, other people and based off of their skill sets. So yeah,
0: yeah, so how about this? Going from people that you know to yourself, have there ever been times in your life where you found yourself uniquely positioned between two groups to connect them well?
2: I actually had one last night. <laughs> I studied uh, Spanish at Asbury, and I lived abroad in Spain, and so I just had this deep passion for. Spanish in general, for Spanish cultures. Um, and it wasn't so much as connecting two different groups, but I've just found that that love and passion has been very evident in my life to connect people. So I have a friend um, who moved here from Spain because she married a guy from here, conveniently. Yeah. And last night I was on a walk with my husband and, and her son, And I just walked past this house. We walked by this house that had a Spanish flag out. And with some of his prompting, I I went up and knocked on the door. And just asked, hey, uh, what's with the flag? And she was from Spain. And we just sat and talked for about 20 minutes in Spanish. And I've now already set up a coffee date between her and me and my other Spanish friend. And I just thought that was so cool. Of like,
0: excelente.
2: She, it's muy <laughs> excelente. Um, but I thought it was cool that if we just pay attention to our, our interests, our passions, if we just keep a lookout, we can connect people that probably really need each other.
3: So... I am actually the life groups pastor at my church and kind of my job is literally to connect people into life groups Hmm. and plug them into a community that's built into the church. So I go out into the community where I get the opportunity to just meet people and talk to people and love people and bring them into our community and get them plugged into church and more specifically weeknights, hanging out with smaller groups of people Mm -hmm. um, where I get to know all of these people and say, Hey, you'd be a great fit here. Um, these people are kind of on your wavelength, I think.
1: Hmm. The only example I can think of right now, well, when I was younger in my youth group, I was kind of the girl that would be kind of assigned to go (laughs) and meet the new kids and put them into their own groups but actually that same youth pastor is now an executive director of a camp out in tennessee called bancroft um and so now i work with students that look for summer jobs and he's looking to hire students so we'll see (laughs) if i can be more of a connector now yeah yeah
0: that's a great example um so there are probably a number of things i could i could choose from but when I was in college I was the RA on my hall for a year and that was the same year I was serving as a president of another group that had events on Sunday mm. nights and you know there're a lot of guys that sometimes just sit around the dorm with nothing to do <laughs> and being able to connect them with something meaningful for an evening was you know something that was beneficial in their lives there are a lot of different ways as a resident assistant on a hall that you can do that but I kind of had this this leadership position in both areas so I had a unique insight into both of them. That was a way that I could help to connect people who otherwise may have just been sitting around with nothing to do. And that's, that's the value of a connector. You can help someone find more value and more meaning in their lives.
1: Right. So I thought it was cool how he talked about social entrepreneurship and how he already had connection in Jackson. He had been doing local missions in his church. Yeah. Yeah. And he used the term, I think, preliminary groundwork that uh, he was able to have like Market research done, knew the needs of the community, knew what needed to be done, what needed to be, uh, what resources they needed. So I was just wondering if any of you have ever taken a job where you knew that you weren't going, were not going to be in the position that you wanted to be right away, and it was going to take patience and growth to get to that point.
0: Absolutely. Yes. I can't think of a job that. That has not been true for. Amen. <laughs> um, yes. And I think that's often true whenever you are starting off as uh, a young professional somewhere. Mm-hmm. I will say that the first job I had after college was teaching in Honduras, but I didn't actually go down there to teach. I started teaching after I went down there. <laughs> I found out that would be part of my job description. And it wasn't It wasn't like... Um, the reason for that was that one of the teachers was overloaded, so it wasn't like they were planning on it all along and just didn't tell me. But... I had to figure out how to teach because I had never uh, I never taken classes on how to teach and I never <laughs> thought about teaching before, yeah. nor yeah. had I particularly wanted to. Yeah. But, you know, I spent the next three years down there um, and part of my job every year was teaching and mm. I had to kind of learn as I went and wow. I'm not planning on having a formal teaching role in the future. But I, I definitely have more respect for teachers now having been a teacher for a few years. Wow. Uh, as a teacher <laughs> <laughs> I, awkward. I, uh,
3: like, wow, that's impressive. <laughs> um yeah, even even as like I, I did go to school. I took the classes on on learning how to teach and mm-hmm. this, that and the other, and I can tell you they they don't teach you everything you need to know. It's like you can't, you can't just learn that stuff in a classroom. You have to actually go do it. Yeah. And my first entire year of teaching, though I was prepared enough to to get through that year without burning out, was still a huge learning curve. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, you know, I would be up at the school till eleven o'clock at night sometimes, uh, grading papers and figuring out uh, systems and stuff that I could put in place to make my life a little bit easier. Um, and by now, I'm, you know, in my I'm about to end my third year of teaching now and everything I is I was so there. much <laughs> easier. Right. Yeah. Ha, 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 ha. Um, <laughs> but now everything's so much easier and, you know, I can go to work having put in almost half the effort because I've spent so much time doing this. Mm. I kind of have a feel for it. You know, um, it's been a long road to get here, mm. but it's been totally worth it.
2: Yeah. It wasn't a technically a professional job, but, Every summer I went and worked at Camp Canica down in near Branson, Missouri. And I I love that camp. And I I actually, my second year working there, I was given the position of being a UC, which was just basically a counselor to the counselors. And that was a big deal because usually you have to work there quite a few years to get that. And I only worked there one year. And I went in a little cocky and a little distracted and I didn't do a very good job, which (laughs) to this day breaks my heart. Um, But it was it was hard work. I was, you know, doing some nasty work till like midnight, like plunging toilets and Mm -hmm. stuff. I would rather be grading papers, Cody.
0: Michelle, do you have any examples of a situation like that in your own life?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm currently in my first year of being a resident director, and I am so passionate about student development. So, this the first semester, I kind of Did the system as it was handed off to me, Mm. but I quickly saw that there were some kinks in the machine and, um, made some changes for the second semester, started implementing my own changes, my own, um, systems. And I saw it just even with, and and I'm not talking overriding the system, but, um, just like making changes from the experience that
2: I had.
0: So connected to that question right there though, when you found yourself in those situations, how did you get beyond that? assuming that you did.
2: It took a lot of humility on my end, being that unit counselor that summer, just because I didn't do the job very well for about the first half of the summer. And some people called me out, actually, and I had to go and step back reevaluate my motives, reevaluate my relationships and how i approached everything and unfortunately it was about the end of the summer that i realized how to do the job well. But what was really cool is that a few years later actually i got the chance to go be a unit counselor again for just a week, okay. which i didn't expect. So it was really interesting to be able to Learn from that that failure, really, which actually Samuel talked about in the interview, just that failure that first time through, and implement that that later experience of okay, I got to be way more humble, I got to be way more attentive to my girls um, and take care of them a lot better.
1: I can totally relate to that oh, good. And, <laughs> uh, you know I, being in my first year of being a resident director, there's been so many times when I have thought here I am thinking I'm following my life's calling and I think I'm terrible at this Mm -hmm. because I was missing the mark a lot. And something that I had to learn is as long as I was remaining teachable, like you said, being humble, seeking out mentorship, like he talks about a lot, having people that you can confide in and, and be vulnerable with and say, Hey, I'm dropping the ball here. But who will correct you? I think that is so such a valuable experience.
3: Yeah, even in my first year, this whole idea of being humble is definitely a big deal for where I was. Mm-hmm. You know, anytime you you're in your own classroom and this is this is kind of your baby, you can get kind of cocky and say, oh, "This is mine, and I'm doing the best that I could possibly do." But there there are a few times where I kind of had to swallow my pride and like go across the hall to an experienced teacher <laughs> that's been there, and been doing this for ten years, and say hey, how can I do this better? Because this is obviously not working yeah. for me. And it was a lot of uh, seeking out advice and taking advice from people that have done it for years and years. Yeah. Um, and ultimately just kind of driving through it and not giving up because yeah. there's a lot of that too. It's just sitting down thinking about it for hours and hours and hours and hours and just figuring it out.
2: And I think some of it is just accepting that failure. Like, yeah, okay, didn't do that right, but tomorrow's a new day and um, I'm going to learn from that and just do better tomorrow. And I,
1: I wish it was more understood for younger leaders. Right. I wish they came in knowing, or I wish I did at least knowing that you're bound to fail. You're yeah. bound to fail early. You're bound to fail often. Yeah. And that does not make you any less of a leader.
0: Right. Yeah, I think in those situations, it's, really important to have a good leader to help you out along the way yeah. mm-hmm. to help you out in a healthy way. That's something for each of us to remember as well as yeah. we begin to have people that we oversee. Are we doing a good job challenging them correctly, making sure that they have the, the skills they need, the experience they need along the way. I will say Cody, for me, I, uh, never had my own room i always i, I, <laughs> yeah. I had one of the special <laughs> classes so i was always yeah. sharing a couple different rooms with people mm-hmm. but because of that i was hopping in and out and seeing what people were doing and mm. there was one teacher in particular that i learned a whole lot from and he had a class with really engaged students he also had a special class so i learned a lot from him on how to do some creative things and i was very thankful to have someone like that who was a contemporary cuz it's nice to be able to see what people in your same situation or maybe just a couple of years ahead yeah. are doing. You can really learn a lot from them. Yeah.
2: Well, I think that almost kind of goes back to the idea of connection. Like, it's not, it doesn't stop once we get connected to the right people. I think almost as, as leaders, we need to stay connected to mm-hmm. other leaders in a similar situation, role, position to just have. I think there's a really powerful thing when you have a group that you can kind of look at to see, okay. Who else is here? What are they doing? And kind of feed off of each other.
3: Yep. Yeah. And kind of going off of that, that's a, a really interesting concept that I kind of I thought of when Samuel started talking about his mentor. What is the big difference, if, if there is a difference at all, between a mentor and a leader? Hmm. Is a mentor specifically leading one person or can you mentor
0: a whole group of people? Or are you just leading a whole group of people, or is this a dumb question? <laughs> no it's a great question and I think from you know a lot of a lot of the people who have been on this podcast have talked about mentorship and it's it is leaders uh oftentimes it's leaders in particular areas where you are seeking growth right and it's leaders who can help you in a particular way um, by guiding you through a relationship right. and that's that's mm-hmm. that's the key right there it's It's great leaders who are able to help you in some specific area yeah. who have a close relationship with you and are able to guide you. I
1: think all leaders, good leaders at least, should be mentors because hmm. if you're a good leader you should be trying to kind of produce more good leaders and right. that requires mentorship. Yeah.
3: So talking about producing leaders, he was talking about you know empowering people, empowering other uh, leaders to to go out into the community and build their ministries and stuff like that. So the question that I have for that is what does it look like to empower other people? You know, is to say, I've got this thing that I'm doing. I would love to have you on my team and I would mm-hmm. love to, to see you on my team to be a part of this and own it. How do you walk up to somebody? What's that conversation look like? And even, even more so, how do you empower other leaders to lead more efficiently and effectively and to say, one day I want you to be able to, To create
0: leaders that will then again be able to go lead i was actually having this very conversation with two friends the other day actually one of my brothers and another friend and we were we were talking about the importance of respect Mm -hmm. if you're going to follow someone especially into a difficult situation where there are a lot of unknowns you need to respect that person and there are a couple different things that can help to create that respect well there are a lot of different things but but two things we were talking about is the importance of a track record, especially if that leader is older, and the importance of a vision with a good plan. And I I would say that that's especially true if the leader's younger and they haven't had the opportunity to have that track record. If you're going to follow a leader, they need to be someone that you, you know that if you follow after them, then you're not gonna be left in the dust. You're not gonna be left out to dry, but you're actually following someone who is going to lead you and that you can work with side-by-side side, or you can follow after them and know that you will, in as much as you can control it, have an effective outcome.
2: Yeah, I think that goes back to what Samuel had said about trust. As a leader, I think that's something that maybe is a very important key that we overlook sometimes. Because I know I've been in positions at work or in a group or a role or whatever, and I just don't feel that I can trust somebody over me and that makes a huge difference versus when I can trust them. And so I think Cody, I think that starts with trust building. Maybe it's not that you have to be best friends for 10 years before, you know, you <laughs> right. say, Hey, you should be a leader in this area, but, but just anything of, Hey, can we get coffee? Or maybe it's not even that maybe it's just, Hey, can we have a conversation when you know, you bump into them? And I think another big thing is to be humble enough as a leader to know that you should be replaced one day. Uh, yeah, definitely. And and because I think sometimes you think, oh, I'm, I'm in this position. But I think we really ought to look at the future of like, I'm not going to be able to do this forever, for whatever reason. And uh, I think to have the humility and the intentionality to look at other people and to find their potential. I think it's it's easy to get kind of caught up in what we see is what we get. But I, I know working at that camp that I mentioned previously, we, we were taught, some kids were really difficult and not very fun to have in our 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 cabins but what was really cool is at the end of the week we gave them a certificate that it was a character certificate and some kids it was really hard to write about because they were just a little difficult maybe not mature but we were always encouraged to say you know maybe maybe they talk too much in a group setting or they won't be quiet or they won't listen well um, maybe you focus in on how they're so energized and that they can they can rally people well. You know, maybe you wouldn't see that right on the surface. Maybe it's just annoying because sure. they keep interrupting you. But what's behind that? What's the potential mm. behind that? And maybe just call that out and say, "I see that in you."
0: So Michelle talked a little bit about building groundwork and things like that. So the question I have for you is: Have you ever started something new? And if so, Did you tend to err on the side of the groundwork aspect of gathering data, planning, and things like that? Or did you tend to err on the side of implementation Mm. and carrying out the plan, maybe when you didn't even have all of the necessary groundwork laid? Do you have a tendency either way, or are you that perfect balance of the two? I I definitely
3: tend to be more on the implementation side of things. I'm I'm very much so uh, like somebody else has the plan and they tell me the plan and I go figure out how Mm -hmm. to work the plan. Um, I'm really good at working with my hands. So like, it's really, it's really fun for me. I really, really enjoy taking this, this idea that somebody else has and figuring out a way to make it a physical thing. It was really cool.
1: I would say that I'm a pretty good mix of both now, but when I was younger, I was probably strictly visionary girl Mm -hmm. who had these crazy ideas and thought they could be, done in a day but thankfully uh I had some great leadership along the way who really trusted me and taught me that hey if you're gonna have a great great idea I want you to I remember one time I planned like a karaoke competition oh yeah Um, no okay (laughs) wait was it a karaoke? it was a lip sync battle actually yeah that's even better yeah and so all the it was all the kids in my youth group and they had to sign up for their slots. So they had their acts. Um, And I remember I had to plan everything else surrounding it. We were going to have food, all these things. And I remember my leader saying, you have to uh, plan it out minute by minute what it's going to look like. And I just thought that was ridiculous because I was like, it's going to follow one thing after Mm -hmm. another. Um, But learning that even planning those little things like the in-between, the MCs, those kinds of things, really polished the night and it was an awesome event and I can think of several other events that I did after that I helped run a camp games and things like that and like strategizing how long it's gonna take things like that
0: could you give us a lip sync solo right now (laughs) (laughs) you ready one two three Very good. Yeah.
2: Wow.
1: <laughs> that was my uh, wish. I've seen that. Yeah. That was amazing. Thank Beautiful. you. I love a good chance to sing some and Whitney uh, lip syncing. <laughs> That's
0: awesome. All right, Kelsey, how about you? Uh, do you tend to err more on the side of the planning or the implementation?
2: I would honestly kind of say that I'm. I'm I'm like you, Michelle. I I think I'm a pretty good mix of both. I think I used to definitely also be the visionary of all oh, these awesome ideas, and we'll figure it out. But over over time, with planning things like in student council as a high schooler, events as a you know president of my class and at um, Asbury, and then. Later, planning my wedding, <laughs> and then other—I mean, just so many random things. That's
0: something you want to get right. Yes, right when
2: you're planning it yes, <laughs> no, easy task. Every woman knows. Uh, <laughs> yes, but it worked out all right. I think I, I too, have just come to really value kind of what he just said. Really preparing, really thinking it through, really doing your research. I've definitely found so much value in that because I'm a dreamer. I love to dream. I love to think of really big ideas and stuff. But I think there's so much value in maybe not devaluing those dreams or diminishing them, but definitely backing them up with a strong reality. And um, I think that's, that can be a beautiful image of, yes, I'd love to dream. How are we going to make, let's choose the right dream and go after it properly. Um, Especially nowadays, I think we had this mentality with social media and, with just kind of that opportunity to be able to get our voice out all the time. I think we lose that mentality that I got to I got to prepare before I just jump into things. See, so yeah, I think I think now I've I've got a decent balance.
0: Well, it sounds like we have two people here who have the perfect balance. <laughs> Cody, you're more—we figured it out. You're more <laughs> implementer, and I'll have to say that I am all about planning for the purpose of implementation. Uh, I don't know that I always hold the two in balance, but I like to—I will say—viciously plan so that I can viciously implement. Mm-hmm. So that when I get started on something, I've done all the planning, and there's nothing mm-hmm. that's really holding me back. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't always do it perfectly, but that's how I—that's how I tend to like to organize things because once I get started with something I don't wanna have to stop. You know, I don't want anything holding me back once I get going. It looks like I have some growing to do.
2: (laughs) Come hang out with us, Cody.
0: (laughs) So let's go ahead and go to our key takeaways for today. Cody, what were some of the things that you thought were most helpful from the interview on Monday? The the biggest
3: key takeaway that I had was the actually The very end of it was the and what else question. Okay. Um, That is something that I've found myself asking a lot of the people around me Mm -hmm. is just and what else. And more so asking from other people, but asking from myself as I'm thinking through some stuff, I'll I'll think, well, here's what I've got. But what else is there? I think it's a really interesting concept to be able to ask yourself that because Mm -hmm. uh, what it does ultimately, I think, or at least in my own life is it gives me a chance to find a different perspective on what I'm thinking about, to, to look at it at a different angle. So the and what else question I think is the biggest takeaway for me. Kelsey, how about you?
2: My key takeaway was at the end as well when you had asked him, which is more important to ask, why or why not? And I thought that was so interesting that he said why not because that made me realize that why not is really important to ask because there's usually not as many reasons when you say, why not? You know, there might be one kind of uncomfortable thing that you'd have to do, or maybe you'd have to put yourself out on a limb. But after you get over that, you realize, oh, let's do this. So I I just thought that that was really cool that he said, like, ask yourself, like, why not? Because usually there's not usually a a long list of of reasons why not uh, to do something or to pursue something.
0: Michelle, how about you?
2: My key takeaway
1: I think there is such great value in having people like Samuel who have a mentality for going into places where there's needs for leaders and um, deciding to invest in that community and supplying them with the resources, the networking that they need. I think that there are so many communities who wish that they had these Mm. leaders in their community and they just haven't had the same opportunity. I think of having uh, classmates in high school whom one might have been the class president might have been in every club and never had a worry through high school, looks really qualified yeah. on a resume, but maybe there was another classmate who didn't have the same opportunities because yeah. they were working another job to help support mm-hmm. their family. There's, They can both have the same amount of potential. And sometimes I think it's important for us to look past qualifications on paper and look for that potential. And in these communities where there's obviously a need for leaders, uh, there's need for people to take ownership, And they're just looking for someone who will invest the time. I think that's really awesome. And we should be doing that for sure.
0: Cody, just like you, the and what else question was a really great one. It helps you to learn from others and Mm -hmm. to evaluate your actions. In addition to that, this is something we didn't even get to talk about today, which is unfortunate. (laughs) But he talked about the Leadership Foundation helping ministry leaders take off their ministry leader hat and put Mm. on an executive leader hat. Now, here's the thing. I think you can wear multiple hats at the same time, but it's very important to know what role or what roles you need to be playing and make sure that you have the appropriate uh, metaphorical hats Mm -hmm. in your closet so that you can wear the right ones when you need to be wearing them. And the final thing is to be a better leader, position yourself as a connector of people Mm. and bring groups or individuals together so that they can enrich each other's lives and have greater impact. To really influence their communities. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Well, Cody, Kelsey, Michelle, thank you for joining the podcast this week. It's been really fun. I've enjoyed it. Thanks for joining the show this week. I hope you learned something new and feel more prepared to take leadership in your own life to the next level. If you found this content valuable and would like to help out the podcast, here are three things you can do one, subscribe to the podcast so you'll get new episodes each week as they come out. Two, Share this week's interview with someone you think could benefit from it. For three, give us a five-star rating and a review on iTunes or wherever else you listen to podcasts. All three of these actions will make it easier for others to find us and join the community. You can never have too many good leaders, right? Until next time, keep living and leading well.